Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey folks, Zach Ostrom here, Iowa Insider, Indianapolis Star. It is Wednesday. Wednesday. Is it Wednesday? It is Wednesday. It's Wednesday. That's why we're doing this. March 22nd, 2023. He is Chronic Hoosier, as you hear him across from me. We've got uh, the big dog on the floor just hanging out with us. And we're kind of talking about the end, or the the end, the beginning, the transition. Um, Chronic Indiana finishes the season 23-12. and 12. They lose in the round of 32 to Miami. Um, we can recap that quickly because I think there are some lessons to be learned from it. Um, the game played out the way that if you had sort of – if you had picked Miami to win that game, you would have done it because you would thought it would, it would have played out about like that. Miami was smaller. It was quicker. It was more athletic. And that sort of team, when it has been able to – when that has been its its – personality it's um it's mo that sort of team has been a problem for indiana you know there, there are teams that i think have tried to play small in indiana but they've that's out of character for them but the teams that have been able to the teams that are just flatly more athletic than indiana like the arizonas and the kansases obviously were a problem but i'm thinking about an iowa i'm thinking about a penn state, penn state yes and and miami probably better than both those teams but a similar sort of set of problems where you got three, four guys that can make shots. You got a bunch of guys that are really quick and pretty athletic, which is really going to strain Indiana's switch heavy defense. And, you know, just frankly, Miami was on the front foot from the beginning of the game and Indiana really never took the initiative back and the game went how it went. I, I think that's a fair summation. It absolutely went how it went. And it went how we've seen those games go over the course of the season. Teams that um, uh, that were able to exploit Indiana defensively, um, especially early on in the game. Um, you know, the, the recipe seems to have been attack the guard, especially the two spot, um, attack the wings. Uh, Indiana, you know, I've seen a debate kind of go on over the course of the season whether it was bad switching or bad rotations, but why they were constantly getting um, – Getting put into rotations and getting beat off the dribble drive, getting beat off uh, you know wide open three point shots, uh, whatever the uh, the root cause was that that was a, a pretty clear path to victory against Indiana over the course of the season was to to beat them at those spots on the perimeter and uh, you know try to neutralize Trace Jackson Davis as much as you can because you know he was you know as the history books will show now you know one of the most prolific post defenders in Indiana history. Um, but teams over the course of the season found a way to work around it. And, you know, teams that were more attack heavy in the guard spot uh, tended to have a little better luck against Indiana. And uh, I, I think, you know, my overarching feeling at the end of the season, um, it ended kind of like how it went from the beginning, basically. They were they were fairly consistently inconsistent over the, uh, the course of a multi-game span. You know, with the exception of that stumble uh, that started in December and spread into January, followed by the rebound, uh, you know, th- for the back half of January or into February. And then it just became an up and down yo-yo from that point onward, which was probably the cumulative effect of, or a um, result at least of, of what you'd seen leading up to that point. Uh, a team that had flaws that were, was at times able to, uh, to counter them, but it was usually going to be matchup dependent. And uh, at other times found themselves uh, woefully exposed um, when it came on the defensive end. And, you know, you, you look back and trying to think what was the primary difference, you know, where this is the time of the year where everybody's trying to measure up, um, you know, and see where Indiana is, what arc are they now on that you have two, you know, solid data points uh, in Mike Woodson's tenure here. Um, you know, the offense was improved. The defense regressed. Um, unfortunately, the the offensive improvement wasn't enough to account or to account for the defensive regression, and it just wasn't at an overall level um, on par with the competition it faced this year. You know, we talked a lot in the uh, the preseason about the uh, the benefits of of a tougher non conference schedule, 
um, Indiana fans for years and you know players, staff, program have been yearning to be back at the table uh, with some of the big boys in the league and they scheduled like it this year and you know they were weighed, measured and found wanting. Yeah, I mean I wouldn't say they were found overly wanting. I mean it, it's you take the UNC game out. Well, that, and that's that's fair to an extent. They also won at Xavier and that is a, a win that I think should stand up pretty well for them across I, I think that this team was good, and I think like my my sort of overarching take on this team was that there was an Indiana that we, being every interested observer, like you know, a fan has a different sort of motivation for it than a reporter, than a player, than you know, a, a I don't know somebody else in the Big Ten, whatever. There was an Indiana we thought this team could be. And we saw glimpses of it that when, it, when they it were whole. never quite found. It was substantially better than where it was a year ago. I don't think that's, um, that's in doubt. And I think, it, I and think it, it's important to stop, too, and, and recognize Indiana pre-Xavier Johnson injury versus Yeah, well, that, and that's, that's kind of where that's I was the going. the asterisk on this whole thing. The, if you're looking at the biggest sort of like the biggest substantive um, difference the, the the biggest substantive sort of question that this team left unanswered, I think it was basically everything to do with Xavier Johnson yeah. and particularly defensively. And I go back to a lot of conversations that we had on this podcast near the beginning of the season when Indiana was struggling a little bit defensively and, you know, 68 points to Little Rock, um, you know, 79 points on the road to Xavier. Indiana was playing a lot faster at the beginning of the year. And so were opponents. And, and defending it, a lot better. And it felt like, well, they, they they weren't, to be honest, in spurts. I mean, like, if you think about the Xavier game, I mean, Xavier scored 1.11 points per possession. Obviously, Arizona and Kansas um, were issues. Even in pockets of some of the of the some of the, the guarantee games, you'd still sort of see Indiana, you know, give up kind of like 12 points in, in four minutes, and you'd think that's, that's kind of weird. Um, and it felt like Indiana was trying, you know, last season, Indiana was statistically one of the slowest teams in the Big Ten. They were seventh in average possession length. They were 10th in tempo. Uh, opponents were 13th in average possession length. At the beginning of this season, and, and overall, Indiana was, you know, no better than middle of the pack in any of those numbers. And in particular, opponent uh, average possession length that was 267th. They were making opponents fight so hard for good shots because there was sort of this recognition that the only way Indiana was going to win games was defensively. Mm -hmm. they, they could not afford to let – the games had to be slow and they had to be won on defense because they could not afford to start getting up and down the floor. Indiana was ready to do that this year. And if you go back to the beginning of the year, you know, stuff like average possession length, Indiana was top 50 in the country in both – how fast they were playing, how fast opponents were playing. And it felt like Indiana was struggling to basically sort of defend at this new pace. And they they had moments where they started to get it. They had moments where it, it, it started to kind of materialize. Um, and then Xavier Johnson got hurt. And progressively over the course of the season, Indiana began playing slower. And in particular, and some of this is obviously affected by Transition to conference play. Yeah, but opponent average possession length by the end of the season was 355th nationally. That's how slowly they were getting opponents to play. And sometimes it was working and sometimes it wasn't. But the point was, you know, Indiana finished 49th in average possession length. They only finished 146th in adjusted tempo. So they were very much back toward the middle of the pack in terms of how fast they were letting the game be played. And they were back to trying to grind out those defensive possessions. But they were without, you know, if, if you think about the way Mike Woodson, and this is sort of where I want to spin this forward a little bit. Mike Woodson has a, uh, there are things Mike Woodson has done in the last two years that I would argue really were just about fitting the personnel and he inherited. Like, I don't think, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think he wants to go two out-and-out out bigs going forward. Um, he is not, he's certainly not recruited that way over the last two years. There are things though, that I think will stay consistent. I think he wants a defense that pressures the three point line and pressures the rim and lives with everything else in between forces, a lot of jump shots. And then, you know, basically tries to close possessions down that way. But by the end of this season, you did not have your best 
pressure perimeter defender. Maybe not your most physical, but certainly the one that could apply the most pressure. You also didn't have your best guard rebounder in Xavier Johnson. Mm -hmm. And because by his own admission, Race Thompson was was kind of carrying, you know, some some injury issues even after he came back from the knee injury and was playing banged up for a lot of the year. And frankly, like, go look at his rebounding percentages. They are nowhere near what they've been the last two years. He clearly was just not the same player physically. Um, you were having to rely on Trace Jackson Davis to be that rim-protecting presence. Well, the problem you have there, and Miami exploited it as well as anybody, but they weren't the only ones. Go back to that Iowa game. Iowa had not had nine offensive rebounds in that game, which is good for how many shots they made. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you if you go look at like a, a Penn State, Penn State should not have I think Penn State out rebounded Indiana. They did. They out rebounded Indiana thirty eight to thirty. Penn State should not have the size to do that, but they did because the player that should be cleaning up all the rebounds that that slow, methodical defense is creating couldn't because he was posted under the rim to to block shots and protect the rim. And so you just wound up in a place where, you know, I'm. this is a long-winded way of saying, forgive me, this has been a, a bit of a monologue. But your point about there were deficiencies Indiana couldn't cover, um, it just felt like there were two, or we could, we could have that conversation about two or three different areas of this team where we'd say they were good at some things, they were very good. In some stretches, they could be very good. They could take games away from teams. But if teams had certain matchup advantages on them, there were just things that by the end of this season, this team didn't have a solution for, in part because of its personnel as constituted, in part because there was an Xavier Johnson-sized hole that really never got filled, in part because the bench never fleshed out the way that we thought. Um, but all those things get layered together. All those things ultimately get get stuck together. Um, you know, they, 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 they are not independent of one another, and it just led to a team that it felt like could see its ceiling, but no, it was never going to reach it. Yeah, and you know, I, just no differently than I feel like um – the Xavier Johnson injury is probably as much as people are going to grumble about it. It's, it is what it is. That's your, you know, your starting point guard, five-year senior. There were it, there were three guys Indiana couldn't afford to. Yes, like Trace Jackson Davis, Jalen Hutchinson, Xavier Johnson. If anybody else breaks their foot in the Kansas game, yes, it hurts, but Indiana can probably find a way around it. Those were the three that like there was just no. There was no replacing either them or the player that would have to step up to replace them. The way this team played, I would say Trace was one A and one B as far as the guy you did because he was he was the this I mean, he was the stalwart. He was the anchor for everything this team did, offensively and defensively. Um after him, it, it was probably Xavier as the second most important player. And I've seen a lot of uh seen and heard a lot of comments in the last couple of days about disappointment having an all American, having uh, you know, what projects to be a, uh, an NBA draft pick um, who had to pick up the mantle in, in Jalen Hudgefino after uh, Xavier Johnson left. But I, we've seen this for for several years now, uh, the ups and downs of Indiana and how it kind of followed um, the presence or the absence thereof of leadership on this team. And I don't think you can overstate how important it is to have a senior leader, a super senior leader actually, um, running your offense as the, uh, the spearhead of your defense. Um, it as good as Hood Shafino was over the course of the season, and it was a you know it was a, a maturation process, uh, cruel at times. Um, I don't think you can overstate how much that backcourt missed um, the energy um, and the leadership that, that Xavier took out. Now that said, um, you know no differently than we expected to have him at the start of the season. What started to be, or what at least appeared originally to be, one of Indiana's greatest strengths in its depth completely inverted uh by the end of the season you know the loss at miami uh the hoosiers got zero bench points that you know i don't care what your starters do it's going to be really difficult at that level especially against the team uh composed as miami was to expect a win when you get absolutely zero offensive production from your bench i mean it's just it's tough and um you know at, at times indiana saw uh you know glimmers i think Trey Galloway, probably as much as anyone, had a ton of personal development, uh, but wasn't consistent. But you, you wanted him – like he was – he was again, this is where everything's linked together. He was better – not obviously he was better off the bench, but you were better when he was coming off the bench. The and your top two were Galloway and Renew. 
and then I mean, like it, you know, at the beginning of the season, it was like Indiana had that starting three, mm-hmm. and then the bench four. And Mike Woodson's solution was basically that one of those point guards would always be on the floor. And I think if anything, Jalen Hood-Shafino's improvement made us forget how important Xavier Johnson was, because you know it it was suddenly like sort of well here's this dazzling first round talent that is probably better than we expected him to be at this point in his career and it almost kind of made you forget yes but there's also this all league caliber point guard that 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 is missing but also that means like Trey Galloway can't be as aggressive defensively because he's got to be more worried about foul trouble because he needs to be on the floor longer and so and suddenly then Tamar Bates has to be your primary sort of points Guy off the bench, you know, in the backcourt. Just yeah, I mean, it, everything got tied together. Is my point? No, everything is everything, and it's all connected. That's just the way the universe works, man. Everybody knows this, but it's uh, deep. It is deep. It was a deep season, though. I mean, honestly, there were so many, so many subplots throughout the course of it. You know, Jordan Geronimo's uh, absence down the stretch, uh, his, his declining minutes. Um, you know, I felt like Caleb Banks was a guy that kind of came on late and, and earned a lot of trust. Um, but it's it's difficult for a team that's you know the, the goal is always to be peaking uh, in March. This team you got the sense was still trying to figure out who it was and what it needed from everybody um, from night to night because as as we mentioned the consistency just wasn't there and you know you can you can pin that on some of the starters whether it be Race or Miller Cop or Trey Galloway um, you know statistically they all had some of their best seasons. Uh, with the exception of, of, of race. I mean, and I think his injury is another one of those, you know, asterisks in the background. Elwood really has an opinion on this topic, but I'm not going to let him have the mic. Um, but all of those things, as you mentioned, connected because of the circumstances they found themselves in. Um, you know, I think big picture, it's important to remember that, you know, this is a team that in one year, without a whole lot of, you know, major additions, aside from Huchifino, uh, went from ninth in the Big Ten, uh, finished third, um, Back-to-back tournament appearances uh, for the first time in a hot minute here in Bloomington. Um, you know, it's difficult, you know, ask Purdue fans this right now. When you look back at the end of the season, um, how do you feel compared to the expectations at the start of it? It's easy when your team is picked up high to feel disappointed about it with without really fully acknowledging, you know, all those, all those preseason polls and everything else, it's all speculation until you get a product on the court and until you mix it up and just see how the drink tastes. And then over the course of the season, when you add and subtract some of those ingredients, you're always going to have, uh, you know, issues with the mix, with the chemistry. And, you know, I think the one thing that that's critical for this team, especially at this point in, in Mike Woodson's tenure, um, you know, I can't tell you how many times throughout the course of the season, win or lose, you look back at the end of the game and said, Indiana of a couple of years ago wouldn't have wouldn't have responded that way. They just would have rolled over. It wouldn't have been a contest. Um, you know, even in some of the the games that were pretty uh, pretty out of that, hand that ended that ended. I mean, that, like there, there were a number of games that, frankly, the Miami game they didn't lose that yeah. competitively by the the final score. It got away from them as they started cranking shots. At the end, the Maryland game at Maryland, the Rutgers game at Rutgers. They didn't play well in those games, but they weren't, you know, it, I mean, like last year they lose by, I think it was like 16 to Michigan in a game that didn't feel that close. This year they lose by 15 to Rutgers in a game that was a lot closer than that for most of them. The number of times this season they started off, you know, somewhere around a 10-point hole midway through the first half. And where in years past you knew you could probably turn off the TV and you know exactly what the score is going to be. Um, this year you never knew. It just didn't, and you know, obviously they uh, they weren't able to get it done most nights. But the fight, uh, the effort, um, a lot of those intrinsics that I think people were longing for, um, they displayed it. Now, the question is, with so much change happening within the program, can they sustain it yet again? Can they build upon that? And you know, of of the short tenure that that Woodson's been here, I think this is going to be by far and away the most fascinating because. This is going to be, you know, something that's going to be his from whole cloth. It's no longer the remnants of the uh, uh, the, the prior staff and the direction and the, the, the roster construction that they had put assembled. Uh, with the transfer portal, Woodson basically gets to, you know, not only recruit maybe some, some incoming freshmen that are recently decommitted with all the upperclassmen uh, that are going to be available in the portal. Uh, it's a tool that it's going to be tremendously advantageous to have at his disposal because, quite frankly, he's going to have to replace, um, you know, just a ton of production. But inside the locker room, um, there's a lot of key pieces 
that are that are departing here this season. They're going to have to be replaced in some fashion. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I think um, I think the the first question is is what what carries over, and you know, like that that was kind of my point about Woodson's defensive system. Like, I think that is something that he is. I think that basically this idea of like being able to switch virtually everywhere on the floor, pressure the three point line, protect the rim, live with everything in between. I think that stays. I think that is something Mike Woodson wants, regardless of kind of where, you know, where he goes, where this goes, et cetera. Um, what his roster looks like. I think, you know, there's an extent to which he's probably going to want that ball screen heavy offense as, as much as he can. I think we ask, you know, one of the probably the overriding questions uh, uh, that we ask of, of Indiana right now is, you know, that Mike Woodson's teams, particularly his Knicks teams, but his Hawks teams as well, shot a ton of threes. His two, his two Indiana basketball teams have not shot nearly enough three-pointers from a volume perspective. Indiana actually conspired to shoot fewer three-pointers this season than it did last season, despite being substantially more accurate from behind, from behind the three-point line. They, they finished the season 38th nationally. They were in the top 20 for most of the year. There was a little bit of regression at the end, and, and there were a couple games where, frankly, I think Indiana was taking some low-percentage threes, trying to get you know trying to, to, to change the course of some games. Um but, you know, how does that change? And, again, some of that is horses for courses. You've got one of the most efficient post players in program history. You're not going to take shots away from him. You've got a, a, a sort of – when I say a shoot-first point guard, I don't want to make Jalen Huchifino sound selfish. But, you know, a big component of Indiana's offense by the end of the year was Jalen Huchifino looking for a shot. And he was never quite the sort of, like – as good as he was, he was never the beat your man off the dribble one-on-one, drive downhill and kick it so, nearly so often as a player like Xavier Johnson or, if, you know, in, in recent years, a player like Yogi Ferrell um, was going to be. You wanted Jalen Huchifino looking for that mid-range game in the in the pick and roll, in the high ball screen actions. Um, so your two highest usage players offensively were not going to shoot a lot of threes to begin with. Huchifino shot 111 of them. Um, but I mean, like, you know, by comparison, um, Xavier Johnson last season when Indiana was not shooting threes at all, shot 94. So, you know, that, that, that kind of gives you a sense for like, it, it wasn't that big of a difference from a season ago, but there's still, you, you just, you, you don't feel like a, a coach, not just who came from the NBA, but who came from the background that Mike Woodson came from, what he did with the Knicks, what he did with the Hawks, what he will have been exposed to across, you know, the last 20 years of his NBA career, will want a team that is that bends so post-heavy. And again, the other part of this season wasn't just Trace Jackson Davis's shooting percentages, it was also his assist rate. He had a higher assist rate, I will repeat this number, ad nauseum, he had a higher assist rate in Big Ten play than Yogi Ferrell had. Yeah. In twenty seven or in twenty sixteen, when Indiana won the Big Ten, um, everything was based around players that don't shoot a ton of threes, and certainly don't shoot a ton of threes within the flow of an offense that shoots a lot of threes. A lot of those Jalen Huchifino threes were pull up shot, were pull up jumpers. That's just part of his game. But what's interesting to me, you know, I wrote this in in a post mortem that we we ran yesterday, and I think it was in today's newspaper. And again, this is Wednesday. Um, Indiana can't reload for next season. Too much is leaving. This is basically just sort of reconstructing the roster completely. And on the one hand, that's difficult. On the other, it's probably never been easier. And it's probably never been more... Uh, what is the word I'm looking for? It has probably never been more just sort of culturally normal with the portal, with NIL, with you know, the, just how common it has become for players to be turned loose back into, um, back into, uh, the recruiting pool because of coaching changes and coaching movement and things like that. Indiana's obviously had success with that in the last couple of years. Tamar Bates, when Shocker Smart left Texas, picks Indiana Malik Renew, comes to Indiana after the change at Florida last year. Um, it's possible. It's doable. It's, 
going to take a lot of work, but I think it's also going to reveal a lot to us about basically what Mike Woodson actually wants out of what the ideal sort of Mike Woodson roster is. I think the next 18 to 24 months, the way he develops players like Caleb Banks and Malik Renew and CJ Gunn and the players he's got, you know, Gabe Cups, Ja'Kai Newton, the kinds of players that he targets in the portal, the kinds of lineups he tries to build. I'm not saying he didn't want Trace Jackson Davis, but when it's sort of like, okay, I'm now moving on and I've got to do it from the ground up, from from the start to the finish, it's none of it was given to me. It's all my choice how this, you know, how this builds itself out. It's going to be fascinating to me to see what from these first two years, you know, sustains and what is is you know kind of what what we look at and we say that was that was part of Mike Woodson's sort of philosophy from the beginning and what essentially was that was just Mike Woodson building around the pieces he had. But once it was time for him to go get players he could choose to some extent he took a different direction yeah and you know lord knows it's going to be a pretty blank canvas for him this season uh or as far as this off season um just looking at conference only numbers you know he's he's effectively returning just a little over 20 points per game and considering how the offense got the majority of those points throughout the course of the season uh playing almost exclusively through the post um it's going to it's going to effectively be a complete overhaul at this point, there's really no, I guess maybe not in a way, there's no path or there's no continuity in the style of play forward um, from where they're leaving to what they're going to be stepping into just with the roster construction whatsoever. Um, you know, while Malik Renew certainly seems like he's capable of playing at this level, um, the gap, the difference in where he's at from a skill standpoint versus where Indiana needed Trace to be uh, for the better part of his career, it's it's just not fair. Uh, and quite honestly, it extends so much further than the post, though, um, because of the guards. You know, uh, assuming Xavier Johnson does come back, uh, Tamar Bates and the reliance on Indiana to have um, – a two out there or, you know, I I think numbers are going to probably be something we have to move more and more away from, uh, as this goes on, but just another scoring option, but especially a defensive option. Um, I don't know that he's there yet. Uh, quite honestly, uh, he certainly had his moments throughout the course of the season. Um, but as we saw, as you mentioned against, you know, the Iowa's, the Penn States, the, the Miami's, um, it just wasn't enough. And you can probably make that case for a lot of, of Indiana's players that are at least set to return right now. And that's also assuming, you know, for all the talk about what's coming in, the transfer portal goes both ways as well. And, you know. Well, I, w- I would even go more fundamental than that. I mean, Indiana's got to get clarity on Xavier Johnson first. Yeah. Like, the, you know, the, the, and, and, you know, I've talked to some people about this. I mean, like. Can't play in the back half of the season. Can't yeah, the, play more than 30% of the season. He's he, at what? 30, like 35, 35% of the season. Um, but there are exemptions available. And well, it, I mean, it, it, there is, there is some precedent for it. Jordan Bohannon played in 10 of 31 games in 2019, 20. He wound up getting that year back. Um, now that's, you know, it's, it's worth saying like, you have to set the line somewhere. Like if your rule is 30% and then you let somebody go to like 32% or whatever that is, then the next person wants to do like 34 percent yep you have to figure out like where you where you stop or just get rid of the qualification altogether um on the other hand you know i i I just kind of poked some people about this um and essentially what what was kind of said to me was like it's unlikely indiana would would do this if they didn't think they had a decent case for it for whatever reason and it certainly um, seems like the decision to shut him down at the end was the program's possibly not Xavier Johnson's. Yeah, I mean that that's harder to know, and and I don't want to overly speculate, but it it's just kind of it it everything's got to start there because like this whole conversation gets immensely more complicated if that's not yeah you know yeah. if 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 you can't if you can't count on a a veteran you know all league caliber point say all league I don't necessarily mean first team but like he is capable of being on an all big 10 team caliber point guard to pull all the strings to, to maybe put you in a place where you don't have to put like a Gabe cups into too much, 
you know, ask too much of him too early or go find another point guard in the portal. Um, you need that first, and then you can build from there in terms of saying, okay, well, so then who's, uh, you know, who can who can come back, who, you know, who can take a step forward, that kind of thing. But, like, the first thing you need is to know that you've got a guy that is familiar with your offense, that is a weapon on defense, that is a sixth-year player that can just kind of be your tone setter. You need to know that player is available. And I would argue you probably need to know who's going to replace Miller Cop. Uh, almost just as importantly, probably not as much, but pretty darn close. Because when you look at the uh, the versatility, um, offensively and defensively, you know one of Indiana's most reliable spot up shooters. Uh, you saw Miller Cop taking a lot of difficult defensive assignments as the season wore on, and you know uh, some mixed results, but but generally um, better than anybody any other option Indiana had at the time uh, for some of those matchups, and that's. <sighs> I, I, that's just one of many, not the least of which who's going to back those guys up, you know, because as we're talking about some of the, uh, the pitfalls they, they stepped into in the end of the season, uh, we mentioned depth. Um, you know, when you're trying to figure out who's going to fill four of your starting roster spots, you know, perhaps three, uh, assuming that the Xavier Johnson is given the, uh, the waiver to return. Um, you've still got to have depth behind those guys. And that's, you know, that's that's just another thing, and all the while trying to maintain a culture uh, that you're trying to establish and, and move that forward. And I always circle back to you know some of the struggles Tom Crean had on the back half of his time here. The roster continuity um, was an invisible hand that that really really uh, impacted that team's success. Uh, it's difficult when you're constantly turning over, you know, forty percent of your scholarships or more. And this is a situation where I'm, I'm really curious to see not only who they get, but how they're slotted in terms of the uh, the scholarship cycles. Uh, because this isn't, you know, look, look at look at teams like Kentucky uh, that are constantly having to retool their roster year after year because they're losing so many players um, through whatever maturation process, be it uh, you know early entry to the NBA, um, transfers, what have you. Uh, it's an extraordinarily difficult position, even when you are regularly getting one of the top recruiting classes in the country year after year after year. So it's a position that, you know, it, you can you can make a lot of good and you can make a lot of problems if you find yourself com- repeating those cycles. So finding guys that both fill immediate needs, but also provide continuity for future classes, I think is going to be one of those difficult balances he's going to have to achieve on top of just getting the talent level up to par with where this team needs to be if it aspires to compete in the Big Ten and uh, the NCAA tournament regularly again. It is worth saying, I mean, I think Indiana is is obviously just sort of developing into the portal. Um, but the, t- the the players we have seen Indiana linked to already, Jameson Battle from Minnesota, I believe his name is, I think it's Kowasi Reeves. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, it was a sort of a wing forward transfer. Um, from uh, uh, from Florida, I know they reached out to uh, um, I can't remember his name all of a sudden, but the the kid that was committed to Providence and is reopened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cooley has left. Yep. Who has spent some time at Carmel? It's reported he's not going to follow. A lot of two, three, four. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, lot. You know, a lot of. I mean, again, I go back to. You know, the, and and I've seen people sort of say, well, Indiana's. You know, I've seen I've seen fans of other Big Ten programs, and I'm not trying to turn this into like, oh, I saw this conversation on Twitter. But like there's sort of been I get this, all my information from the message boards. There's there's sort of been this like, well, Mike Woodson is is going to take a huge step back because he wants to play these two big lineups, and now his bigs are gone. And my counter is sort of like, he hasn't recruited like he wants to sustain these two big lineups. Not you know, at there, all. There, there's, there's, there's a lot more, you know, Caleb Banks, CJ Gunn, etc. Um, he's missed on some bigs. I'm not saying he hasn't tried to get bigs. He got Malik Renew. He he kept Logan Duncan, um, and he he you know he pretty aggressively pursued a couple players that he didn't wind up getting in the 2023 class. Um, but it's it it seems more likely as someone who watched him build a team from essentially from scratch in Atlanta. I think it's a lot more likely that he wants longer, more athletic, more positionally versatile lineups that he can build that switching defense around. And then basically I think back himself 
to develop those players offensively. And and like that's if you're asking me if you're asking me basically like what do I think Mike Woodson's preferred path forward is? I think from watching him build a team up from very nearly nothing in Atlanta, what he wants is a team of players that can be about as positionless as possible defensively with, you know, one or two exceptions. Your point guard's always going to be smaller and quicker, and you're going to need somebody that can block shots at the rim. Um, and then he will back himself and his staff to develop those players offensively. That that he will he will back his skills as a coach and his staff's ability to basically he'll he wants to I think he's gonna build rosters around his defensive principles and then back himself and his staff to develop those players offensively. Develop their shot, develop their dribble, develop their, you know, just their their general sort of feel for everything. And you can agree with that, you can disagree with it, to be honest with you. At times it worked in Atlanta, at times it didn't. I also understand the NBA is a different animal. But college is but trending in that direction that, as well. That, that is that is my best guess for you. If you you know if like I mean I, I think about like the 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 Kansas lineup that he will have seen um, when you know you looked at that and you said, well, geez, Kansas might have a bit of a problem here because Indiana can play two bigs, and Kansas isn't that big up front. But Kansas was just so long everywhere. And there were hands in passing lanes. There were hands in driving lanes. Kansas could switch everything even more effectively than Indiana could. And again, you got to take care of it at the other end of the floor too. But I think Woodson's first focus is going to be, I need to build a team that can do what I'm trying to do defensively. What I saw Larry Brown do with the Pistons. What I tried to do with the Hawks. And then if he can get the personnel to do it, you'll see some of the concepts he layered in when he was a head coach of the Knicks. Um but I mean, it's it is going to be, it is going to be fascinating, really. I think just to watch kind of these next few months, these next couple months. Again, first of all, I think, um, you know, first of all, I think it's it's, um, it is going to be so incumbent upon Xavier Johnson. But then, second of all, it's going to require some, some very. Um, some very clever use of the portal in particular to bring some guys in that can fit that. And also that can, um, that can get, that can absorb this quickly. You need to be confident. These are players that can absorb what you're trying to do at at least one end of the floor pretty much right away. And that you're not going to need to be teaching and learning into January of next year because there, there's no baseline for you to operate from like there was a season ago. And Indiana still got Kansas on the schedule. They've still got two games, what what should be two very tough games, whoever they play in New York. We'll see if they add another game in there. I don't think they're going to be in the, There's one more year of the Gavit games. I don't think they're going to be in it. The ACC Big Ten Challenge is gone. I don't expect right now that that will be replaced in time for next year. I think the Big Ten will probably find something going forward. Although, to be honest with you, again, just sort of trying to take the temperature of the conference. I think the Big Ten is thrilled when it sees a team like Indiana go out and put Kansas and Arizona on its schedule and almost sort of say to itself, well, if more teams would just do that, we don't have to do, we don't have to go hunt down something like that. Um, But certainly I don't expect to see anything like that on the schedule for next year. And so maybe I'll be wrong, but right now I I, I don't think that's going to happen. So does Indiana add maybe one more game in there somewhere? particularly maybe a game at home because none of those, you know, well, Kansas will be at home, but the Empire Classic games will not. Um, you know, if they want to add some sort of series because Kansas is up after this year, something that carries forward after that. Um, I, I'm i just fascinated by the next, I don't know, 10 weeks for IU basketball because there's a lot of work to do but the flip side is for a staff that to its credit I think has shown some some real flexibility and creativity in recruiting there's there's a lot of room to to kind of grow into it. Yeah, and I I think there's this is a completely different world to be in this position now than what it was 3 years ago. Um one of the greatest advantages of the portal, you don't really have to project where a kid's going to be when you're recruiting out of high school, how his development's going to go. I mean, you've got tape at whatever level that kid's currently competing in. Um you know, in college that gives you tons of comps 
just a lot, you know, based off your current scouts from that particular season, um, you're only a couple degrees separated from having common opponents generally now. Uh, I, I just think it makes it a lot more easy to target fits for your program when you're getting a guy that's coming in as a sophomore, a junior, or senior, or grad transfer, or what have you. Um, I, I don't want to be the guy that keeps going back to the negative, but I'm also looking at this going, we could well see some some subtractions, uh, Perhaps before right. we see no, you, additions, you have which to just assume, further complicate. You have to the, assume uh, that there's going to be in this in this in this era. You have to assume some, almost no program's immune from it anymore. Yeah. Honestly, um, so nil helps if you have a again if you have a, a robust nil setup. And I'm, I'm going to write about this today in some form. I'm I'm confident in saying there's well into seven figures in nil money across Indiana's. Um, roster and 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 not just like not just oh well trace jackson davis is making a ton of money like i would bet there's well into seven figures on in i in indiana's roster as constituted october 2023 indiana has a robust nil setup for its basketball program yeah anthony leal's not paying off his sister's school debt right <laughs> if they weren't I yeah mean, quite honestly that that's not because he's advertising like some health foods from kroger again there there's there, there's a lot of opportunity a program like indiana that might keep a player that yep. would have otherwise left, but you still have to assume guys will look for other opportunities. No, absolutely, and you know when you look at how you re, how you attract uh, those portal players, that's got to be something going forward that Indiana really leans into. You know, for years we've always talked about the, the traditions of the program, the history, uh, the experience, and everything else. Um, you know, Indiana has done a decent job positioning themselves. Uh, in the upper echelons, at least, or close to it, in the NIL space and the way that impacts players. So it's certainly a, a tool he has in his bag that that's going to make the situation he finds himself in uh, exponentially easier than, say, Minnesota, who just announced what, what was their annual contributions. Their, their goal was like quarter million a year for the basketball program. Um, I would venture that we had multiple players exceeding that singularly this year uh, rather than a collective from our NIL efforts. So... Um, it's it's a different a different age uh, when it comes to how you build teams, and it's it certainly uh, it, it certainly helps someone like Indiana with all the needs they're going to have to go out shopping for. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to say the least, and that's something that you know has become commonplace now. Whether it be coaching changes, who's staying, who's going, um, you know, I, I I'm happy to go into an off season. Where it's not, you know, is he going to declare? Is he going to declare? You pretty much know, you know, that's pretty much set. Um, don't get me wrong. I that's a good point. Yeah, you know, and we've we've dealt with that a lot over the last several years. So um, to have a little bit of stability there is certainly promising. But you know, right before you came over, um, you know, Kenya Hunter's name is being mentioned for jobs now. So this is the time of the year where all the uh, the wheels start spinning, and um, you know, you've basically got a couple of months to figure out where the dust settles and what that leaves your program with. Uh, but in what's going to be an extraordinarily pivotal offseason for Mike Woodson, uh, all those things are just now being set in motion. So I, I think there's going to be lots to, uh, to keep track of, uh, despite the relative calmness of, of not having some of those previous questions still swirling around the program going forward. I also want to talk about the women. Um their season wraps up as a result also of a loss to Miami on Monday night, uh, a game that I was not able to uh, attend because I was still traveling back from Albany. Obviously disappointing in a different way. Um, you know, this this is by virtually, I know I understand they go to the Elite Eight a couple years ago, but I think in terms of, you know, the, I got into this conversation a little bit on, on Twitter yesterday, like if the NCAA tournament can't be your sole sort of rubric for judging a season, um, this is the best season in Indiana women's basketball history. And they, I, I they were twenty six and one heading in the yeah, last I, game of the conference. I, I, I don't think that's um, playing one of the most difficult schedules uh, in the nation. Uh, yeah, by not, far not, and away the and most difficult because, schedule in program history. Not just because um, they were in the Big Ten. I mean, they they went out and got Tennessee at Tennessee. They you know they put themselves, and I, I think they were you know, by some distance, the best team in that tournament they played in where Grace Berger got hurt, but like they sought out that opportunity. Um, They behaved, I guess the point I'm trying to make is they behaved like a big time program this year and they performed like it. And obviously it, it, um, it did not, it did not go quite the way they would have hoped. 
um, in the NCAA tournament, and sometimes that happens. And of course, you had Mackenzie Holmes was banged up. Um, I think that you know it. it it's probably fair to say you you could see at times Grace Berger was back, but again, a little bit like Grace Thompson, healthy enough to play, probably not a hundred percent. Something that strikes me and and listen around here for better or worse, everybody gets measured up against Bob Knight when you talk about basketball or when you talk about just coaching. You know, like that's just something that happens. Um, most programs, even as they build into being, you know the kind of level we're talking about here. Um, most programs don't win a national championship with their, their first great team. Yeah. And I would argue that, I mean, with respect to the last couple of the, the, the two previous years, as good as they were, um, this felt like the first year where Indiana graduated into being one of those teams that was, that was just sort of in a sport where the best teams are truly dominant and they just separate themselves from all but a small handful, maybe six, seven peers. Indiana was one of those teams this season. Um, all season, you know, not not just in bursts or in stretches, but all season long. You don't usually win it all with the first one. That's just, you know, Bob Knight kind of, again, around here, Bob Knight kind of skewed the, 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 the averages a little bit um, because, you know, he was in the, what in the final four in like year two and he'd won a national title within his first five years. Um, It's obviously disappointing the way the season ends. I think a lot of Indiana fans felt in particular, you know, terrible for Grace Berger, understandably. Um, But the flip side is there's no reason why this team shouldn't be just as good a year from now. Um, you know, Berger is, is the one really big departure. Everybody else has years if they want them. Mackenzie Holmes has already announced that she's coming back. I don't I don't know if Sarah Scalia has, has addressed that uh, or not, but she only played three years at Minnesota, so she gets a COVID year if she yep. wants one. Um, you're going to have Sydney Parrish back. I think Yarden Garzon, I think the, 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 the sky is the limit for her potential. Um, and she was outstanding already as a freshman this season. Averaged. I can't imagine what Chloe Mc, uh, Moore McNeil's offseason is going to be like after the way it ended. Yeah, and I mean, the, al- the progress already, she's made in her career. But already, def- you're talking about a player who had 155 assists this season, um, 46 steals. This team should be kind of right back there again. Um, and obviously, they're playing in a conference that is going to, is always going to kind of challenge them in that way. I'm not. I think Caitlin Clark may have one one more year. I'm not positive about that. Um, But Ohio State will be there, you know. Maryland will be there, you know. Michigan is a coming force. Illinois, you know, kind of went not worst to first, but like made huge leaps in in first year under a new coach. Um, I think this is a case where you can be simultaneously very disappointed with the way the season ended if you're an IU fan and also very optimistic about the future, both because of what Terry Morin already has coming back. And also, as she's proven, her ability to, you know, even kind of pre what we would consider, quote, the portal era, her ability to go find impact transfers that fit what she's trying to do, that fill holes, fill roles, fill niches, and and elevate the uh, the whole product. I, I still vividly remember people wondering how she would ever replace Tyra Buss. Um, yeah. You know, one of the greatest players in program history. And she goes out and gets a Grace Berger. Uh, it, looking back on this season, um, as disappointing as it was, and I think that's just further compounded by the fact that it was back-to-back nights to the same school um, in a very similar style of defeat, for that matter, or at least showing, you know, exposing similar vulnerabilities. Um, you know, I spent most of the season feeling towards this team like I did the 92-93 men's team. I mean, just the dominance that they displayed – for such a huge portion of the season. Um, it was... Yeah, they weren't just winning games. I mean, they were like... They were just taking games away from teams. Beating teams. ranked opponents by an average of, of double digits. I mean, and the way that they could turn it on in the third quarter and close a game out and just absolutely separate themselves from from the best in the league and some of the best in the country. Um, I mean, obviously, it's like nothing you've ever seen before. All the program records that they've set uh, wins, uh, attendance, the support... Um, 
it just truly, truly unbelievable. Um, but to go feeling like, like the, you know, probably the best team, um, never to win, um, you know, they were, they won the, the conference title for the first time in 40 years. Um, you know, it seems like a disappointment that they don't get past the round of 32, uh, having been to the elite eight previously with final four aspirations this year. Um, that taste kind of turns into the 13 men's team, uh, where, you know, having carried the, the target on their back for the bulk of the season, uh, having risen to the challenge night after night after night and just an absolutely grueling conference schedule, um, just ran out of gas late, uh, honestly. And, you know, it's, it's tough to swallow, uh, but that's, that's the way single elimination tournaments are. Um, there are plenty of teams every single year, men's and women's, uh, that get upset. That's what makes the tournament so magic. Um, it's also what makes it so inexplicable at times. That's Olive Lee. She's really upset that my daughter's not in the house. We have a cat growling around the house right now. Um, I, I think it's probably for a lot of fans, it's a little too soon to really take stock of what they've just witnessed, what happened. Um, yeah, I mean, again, like back-to-back days to the same opponent, I think that's a piece of it too, just kind of the, the gut punch of feeling like those two combined. You look at the the Miami loss, the the Iowa loss to close the regular season. Um, just ridiculous plays. It just absolutely absurd basketball plays deciding the game. Um, you know, the four losses over the, the course of the season by a combined 12 points. Those are absurd numbers uh, in any context. Uh, it's just truly remarkable, and it's it's unfortunate that for a lot of folks, they're going to feel disappointment because they didn't get past Miami at home. Um, and, you know, if I'm not mistaken, the only home loss of the season. Um, I think more than anything, it's a testament to the culture that Terry Moran's built. Um, I fully expect you talk about whether a program's rebuilding, reloading, whatever. Um, you're going to be hard-pressed to pick against the Hoosiers next year uh, with McKenzie Holmes returning, with all the talent they have coming back. And as you mentioned, uh, with Terry Moran's track record of picking up key pieces um, through recruiting and, and the portal now. Uh, just amazing what she's she's accomplished. And you start to get the sense that this is becoming dynastic. Um, they're not going away anytime soon. Uh, the buy-in from this team, you know, it's their catchphrase, do the work. But when you listen to all the players in the locker room talking about, you know, their feelings on the season, on the loss, everything else, you, you, you hear them all specifically mention the work that they put in. Um, and I think it's important to remember, this is a program that's had a lot of early roster attrition. Uh, it, it's not an easy style of basketball to play. It's extraordinarily demanding. Um, it's exactly the basketball I watched Terry Moore play in high school uh, for Donna Sullivan at Seymour. It's exactly what you saw uh, when she was up at Purdue playing for Lynn, uh, Lynn Dunn. It's, it's tough old school basketball, but I think what's been you know truly refreshing is it's exactly the type of hoops that Indiana fans have, have grown up on that they, they pine for on the midside. The women play it. And it's been uh, it's been a heck of a ride, and I don't see it ending anytime soon, quite frankly. And you know, you talk about all the questions swirling around the men's program. It's almost the complete opposite side of the coin uh, when you look on the other side of Cook Hall right now. Yeah, it's. I think it's like. I mean, it's to some extent, and, and obviously they approach it from different perspectives. Um, but it's it's sort of. I think Terry Morin has has, you know, kind of mastered the. I mean, I wrote about this in the preseason. I think people have written about it, talked about it in different ways. She's she's kind of mastered like the modern sort of way of, of building a roster through some high school recruiting. You know, McKenzie Holmes, Grace Berger, Chloe Moore McNeil, all high school players. Um, through, obviously, portal recruiting, you think about, you know, you, you can think back to Brenna Wise, to Allie Patberg, um, Nicole Cardano-Hillary. Now, obviously, you know, uh, Sydney Parrish was really good this year and is, is probably only going to sort of grow her role uh, with Grace Berger moving on. Sarah Scalia was an important player uh, eventually off the bench, but I think an important piece of this team second or no third, excuse me, third and made threes this year. And again, should have another year if she, uh, if she so chooses. 
Um, and then, you know, hey, quietly, I mean, it's Yarden Garzon's hardly the first overseas prospect that has made an impact for Terry Morin's team. Um, my point is, you feel like as much as this, you know, no program can ever go on autopilot. It, 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 it always, it's one of those things that always needs, you know, sort of some, you know, careful attention and you have to really hold tight to what you're trying to do and all that. Um, but, you know, as, as much as it can be the case anywhere, um, this, this program feels like it's just got its formula. You know, when we talk about Mike Woodson and sort of, you know, Mike Woodson's kind of at the, at the end of the sort of, you know, if you want the comparison, it's sort of where Terry Morin was when they won the WNIT in 2018, where it's sort of like, okay, this is a team built around players that she inherited, that bought into her, that really kind of came to embody a, a level of growth and a level of sort of, you know, um, established consistency at Indiana. But now it's about carrying on from that when it's, you know, it's, it's not players she inherited, it's players she recruited, she developed, it's a culture, it's a system, it's a style that she developed and she installed and, and it's up to her to kind of keep it healthy and keep it ticking forward. Um, I would argue it's player led as well. Well, sure. I mean, it always, I mean, that, that that's always true. Like that always has to be true, but, but for the winning programs, the way that that gets established in the locker room and the way that gets carried down from class to class. So to go sure. from a Tyra bus and an Amanda Cahill to, uh, Allie Patberg and the Brian wise to now see that continue, uh, you know, to, to Grace Berger and McKenzie Holmes. Um, that's, that's the recipe right there. And, you know, and, finding a way to elevate that with each successive class. Yeah. And the point is, I think that it's, you know, where Terry Morin is now is is kind of the what I guess you know fans on of the men's side or fans looking at the men's side will hope Mike Woodson can get to in the next three to four years. I think every coach is, hopes to get there. Well, yes, team. of course. I mean, every coach hopes to have a top five program, but but more the idea of a very firm way of saying this is how we do it. This is how we do it. Yeah. This is this is what we're building. This is how we build it. This is what we need to build it. Skills, personalities, etc. This is this is the formula for sort of where we plug in the freshmen, where we plug in the transfers, what we're looking for when we need to fill a hole out of the portal, that sort of thing. There is just such a a firm sort of hold right now on just the the standard operating procedure of what makes Indiana women's basketball really good. And I think that if it, you know, you can be disappointed with the way that season ended, but you can still look at what that group did and frame it in the context of the last five, six years, seven years, eight years go, you know, I mean, not Over the course maybe, of her whole tenure. Yeah, yeah really. Um, but certainly since her first NCAA tournament appearance and moving forward from there, um, and you can just sort of say this is this is what it looks like when you when you figured out how to build a winner. It's it's the C word that you always hear the coaches talking about. It's the culture. It's just the culture, and it's it's a very familiar culture uh, for longtime fans of Indiana basketball. Quite honestly, um, just tenacious defense, unselfish offense, um, gritty, fundamental. Um, you know, I, I think there's a little similarity in, uh, in the path forward with the men's team, um, you know, continuing to, to up the athleticism, uh, the speed, uh, a couple areas where I felt like they got a little exposed against Miami, especially in the first half. Um, but you can't deny the culture is there. And again, going back to their own buzzword, uh, you know, it's unmistakable. They put the work in, they absolutely put the work in and they do it on both ends of the floor. And they do it collectively as a group, and it's uh, it's beautiful basketball to watch. Uh, and you know, on a personal level, it's been it's been extraordinarily welcoming to see so many people recognizing it for what it is. Gender um, aside, it's just good basketball. And and I, I've said that throughout the course of the season, over the course of the last several years. Um, you know, Indiana fans pride themselves on being um, connoisseurs of good basketball and when you see good basketball being played you see the fan or the stands filling up and that's exactly what's happened year after year after year to the point that now you know you're getting people in the balcony for regular season games uh for a women's game which i will never not be absolutely floored by having walked in there you know halfway through the first half or the you know in between quarters i guess in the women's game 
and basically being able to pick almost any seat you want in the lower bowl, any section, just you know, a, a, a few years ago to now, if you're not there an hour before tip, uh, you're probably going to be close to the tunnels in the main level. So it's uh, it's been a remarkable transformation, and it it's very much appears like it's going to be ongoing and, and ascending uh, going forward still. So exactly where you would hope to see the uh, the program. It's about as healthy as I think Indiana can boast in any sport, uh, and probably over a pretty significant time span for that matter at the same time. So it's uh, it's been amazing to see the uh, the small town girl make good here in Bloomington. We'll leave it there for now. This has been Mind Your Banners for March 22nd, 2023. He's Chronic Hoosier. Thank you so much, as always, for joining us. And thank you all for listening. We will be back next week. We'll keep spinning this forward, at least for a little while, though obviously things will tail off eventually. But thank you for listening all season, and we'll talk to you soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.